0: Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's d-h-a-r-m-a-media.com. All right, back in the saddle, ready to rock and roll here with Caitlin and Z. And Z, today we are asking the perennial question, what is wrong with me? What the hell is wrong with me? And this is a question that so many of us ask, because at times, in the privacy of our own minds, when we drop the charade, when we come back, we're at the party, we're trying to act like we're social butterflies, uh, we're trying to impress everyone else, but we're feeling insecure, we're feeling anxious, or our mind is somewhere else, and we're worried about our kids, uh, we're worried about our job. We just can't get these thoughts out of our mind. We come back home and collapse in the bedroom and we just think, what is wrong with me? What the hell is wrong with me? Everyone else has their shit together. How come I'm the one who feels so insecure or who feels so anxious or I'm trying to create this image, but underneath I feel like I'm falling apart. What is going on? And I, I think a lot of us have felt this way and it can be a very isolating feeling. I know that Back in the day, actually before meeting you, you're one of the ones who's helped me with this issue. I always felt like there was something seriously wrong with me. And maybe there still is. And in fact, now I fully admit something could be wrong with me, but I don't really care. I own it. So that part of the story has changed. Back in the day, it was more like, what is wrong with me? And this is bad. This is something to be ashamed of. I always felt like I was lesser than, uh, that I just didn't fit in, that my culture was weird. My heritage was weird. I was too brown instead of being white, and there was just something inherently wrong with me, or I'd feel like, how come I'm not having fun? How come I'm not enjoying myself? I'm in these social events, uh, I'm hanging out with family, and they're asking all these boring, superficial questions. How come I can't just go along and go with the flow and be happy? Why do I feel like I want to kill myself? What is wrong with me? And when we started this discussion behind the scenes, you had an interesting point that Normally, when we feel this way, when we feel a certain amount of stress, there's a good reason for it. It's not just coming out of nowhere. It's not some inherent flaw that we have to deal with as some problem that's insurmountable. It's more like there's a cause and an effect. And we may not always be aware of that cause, but there are underlying causes. There are either singular events that we've gone through that have been very traumatic that make it difficult for us to function. And you mentioned someone who I believe you're working with now who lost two people in the period of a year. So two people very close to this person were killed within a one year period. And now this person has anxiety about death. And is imagining that anytime he gets on a plane, the plane is going to fall out of the sky and he's going to die in some horrific death. And he's thinking, what's wrong with me? And your point is, hey, wait a second. There's nothing wrong with you. You just went through something extremely traumatic. Of course, it's going to affect you. Of course, it's going to cause stress. So let's deal with that underlying problem. Or you could take maybe a more subtle example where there isn't a singular cause, but we just feel anxious all the time. And that anxiety comes from a sense of entitlement, that the world should give us exactly what we want. We're in this culture where we expect everything on demand. And when things don't add up, or we feel like something might not go according to plan, it makes us feel insecure, it makes us feel unsettled. And we feel like our whole world is falling apart. So it could be a pretty trivial thing that goes wrong But it feels like it's shattering us. It's destroying our reality. And we look at it objectively and think, what the hell is wrong? This isn't that big of a deal. Why am I having such a challenge going through a pretty simple event? But we're not looking at that culture and that history of entitlement and that conditioning that we have to expect that everything is always going to go right. But if we're able to look at that, again, as we've been talking about Z, we can address that problem and we can get past the challenge. So I think there are a couple of things that are important that I want to highlight during today's conversation. One is that usually there's nothing wrong with you, or to the extent that there is something wrong, you can solve it. So having that perspective is important. And two, if you have that perspective, it takes you out of the paralysis. A lot of times, if we think that there's something fundamentally wrong with us, it's kind of like, okay, what can I do about this? Nothing. I was born this way. This is just my luck. It's my cross to bear if we take a more scientific approach, we realize that we have a lot more agency, a lot more flexibility to correct whatever the things are in our lives that are causing us pain, causing us fear, causing us stress. And we can just live, live healthier lives, live with more of a clear mind, more of an open heart. We don't really need to walk around just feeling weighed down or feeling stressed out all the time. And unfortunately that sort of feeling has become normalized. And when you take something that's become normalized, but you also stigmatize it and you say, my God, there's something seriously wrong with me, that's a recipe for disaster. So, Z, why don't we start over there? Talk to us a little bit more. Give me some more color on this issue uh, that you see with people and uh, just this, uh, this false insistence that there's something wrong with me.
1: Yeah, Ben, I am working with just a person that's very dear to me, and uh, I've been working with the family for years. Um, knowing them for years, even before this particular horrific event happened. And it's been a number of years, and then in in the last few years, the young man has, has found himself with paralyzing anxiety about everything, phobias of all kind. They all are associated with a catastrophic a loss of life, right? And I was sharing with him that one of his struggles came from an ego place that he feels like he's broken, like he's not a whole person, that he is uh, deficient in some way or another. And as I hung out with him, and he's just a, a really cool guy, right, Caitlin? We hung out, uh, considered all the good qualities of a human being, great family, and one of the hardest things for him to do was admit that he was reacting or responding events of the past that he hadn't got over it. And I told him, hey man, nothing's wrong with you. He said, Z, I, I I'm not comfortable getting on planes. I'm, I, I go through issues driving uh, when I'm in closed in spaces. And I said, let, let's just walk through it. Let's just kind of deconstruct this feeling. You are now in a group of people, of the eight billion of us, you are now in a category of a few million people on Earth who have had extraordinary and catastrophic losses that were sudden, devastating, grotesque, horrible. And the sun came up the next day like it does every day on Earth. And you had to cope with that and manage without really processing it in a therapeutic way. So I think about, let's say you broke your leg, you fall off a ladder, you broke your leg and broke your back. Well, they can fix it, but once they fix it, you really then have to go to therapy. You have to go to physical therapy so you can walk again, so you can move again. Then you have to continue that therapy so you'll feel okay going up ladders because that trauma will affect you psychologically where anything that you did that caused injury, you will shy away from. And that's where the anxiety begins, because you imagine going through that again. And I, I, I was speaking to him about ways of addressing the narrative with clarity. So I talked about the lyrics of a rap song that some people don't really get it. They listen, and they don't, they don't like the way that people talk, whatever. But there's a lot of brilliance in there. There's a song in, in, in 50 Cent's song in the, in the club. He says... I've been hit with a few slugs, so I walk with a limp." And I told them, the slugs are an analogy for traumatic events in your life. It's an analogy. What are the slugs that hit you? Well, you lost your siblings to murder in a year. You got shot twice. What is the limp? The limp is the effect of being shot twice, the trauma associated with it. And as in this rap album, he explains his limp. This is why I do what I do. He didn't say he eliminated the limp. He didn't say he doesn't have a limp anymore. He's telling you, this is why I walk with a limp. So when you've gone through something, you want to sit across from a person who, people you care about at least, and say, hey, we're good. I just want to let you know I walk with a limp. I've been hit with something that shook my whole world up. And I have the scars and the wounds of it, but I'm okay because any human being that went through that would be devastated. Any human being that got hit with those slugs would walk with a limp. It is the nature of life. And I wanted him, I said, write that on your dashboard. Just put a sticky note on your dashboard when you feel like a lesser person, like you're damaged or you're not a good person. There is nothing wrong with you to be affected by something traumatic. Mistakenly, we call it PTSD, and they're working on that. They call it post-traumatic stress syndrome. And there's an argument. Traumatic stress is enough. Whatever happens, it's never post, because you're always living with that until there's a way that you can learn to navigate it, until you've had the therapy, until you've had the ability to deal with that that was, has altered you. So any human being that's not a sociopath or a psychopath, do something hurtful, devastating to them. Let them experience, observe something, you will walk with a limp. You will have the effects of that trauma. And from that point you want to acknowledge that so you can have the right therapeutic tools and the intellectual tools of narrative to address that because The world is what the world is. It is what it is. How you navigate that world has everything to do with your narrative. And now when we see people that have uh, debilitating anxiety, um, various types of phobias, endless fears of tomorrow or imminent sense of doom, and you say, well, you know, you come from a good family. You were wealthy. You never had any hardships. Well, that slug that they got was the slug of entitlement. Somebody told them that they had a right to a life, an unencumbered life of, of, of with no despair, no hardships. When you go out in the world, everybody's going to like you. You're super wonderful. You're super great. You're great. You're wonderful. Even though you did nothing to earn anything, you never won over hearts. You were not want the hero of humanity. You didn't sacrifice yourself anything, but you want everybody to treat you the same as a hero. And when you get out into the world, and that's not happening that's traumatic to you. It's like you got shot. People will say it, it's like I got shot in the chest. You hear people say that all the time. I feel like there's nothing left of me. I was devastated. It's not true. You're sitting right there, so everything is left. But for them, the trauma is the same as this young man's whose whose family was murdered. Because in the illusion of the mind, they thought that the world would be their playground that the subjects of humanity would bow at their feet because someone told them that they were a prize, though they never worked for it. Okay, then we were just talking about the martial arts and what has caused the decline of martial arts is that in order to attract uh, clients, everybody had to be a black belt. Everybody. Whether you can lift your leg in the air or throw one punch, everybody's a black belt. Everybody gets the prize. Everybody gets the gold ribbon, whether they earned it or not. And when they get out into the real world and they realize that that rib- ribbon is counterfeit or empty, it's traumatic because of the flim-flam, because of the, uh, the the revelation that I'm not special. I am common. I am not extraordinary. I'm ordinary. And that can be traumatized for a person who's always been told they were special, they were great. So you have that trauma, and what I call it—that is TER. I call it TER, T-E-R, which stands for Traumatizing Event Response. Traumatizing Event Response. You get mugged on the subway. Somebody breaks out of the subway and shoots you, and shoots at everybody, or does whatever they do on the subway train on a regular day. This affects you. Traumatized, what is your response? Well, maybe you don't want to go outside anymore. Maybe your view of the world is so extremely altered. You develop all manners of phobias. Well, the first phobia, the common phobia people develop, is a uh, often tethered to generational models where you will see a crime committed. And that person that you saw, wherever you see the likeness of that person, you shy away from, you react to. That's another form of trauma. We see that now playing out in the world where all these shootings are going on. All these murders, these people coming in, and there's, they're going to be happening every week, I guarantee you. People running into schools or public places, killing and shooting. Oh, all, another one happened today, Caitlin, told me. In Tulsa. In Tulsa, Oklahoma. Another one. Good God. Medical building. Okay, so we're going to be seeing more of this because you have, uh, you have injured people With phobias that are reacting, responding, reacting—I should call it T E R -R, R—responding or reacting to all manner of things. Imagining that they're they're in threat, that something's been taken from them, that their lives will be uh, irreparable, that something so they have to act. That's the same as a phobia. The term phobia means phantom. It just means phantom. You saw a ghost. And you're chasing ghosts. You're like the Ghostbusters people. You're, you're just running around with all this equipment. That's what these gun people are. They're like Ghostbusters. They're running around with all these guns. They want to kill the ghost. But the problem is the ghosts are people who have nothing to do with what went on in their life, but they projected that trauma onto them. What was their trauma? What is their thing? Their losses. Their sense of loss. So then they read the internet and they hear uh, they're being replaced or whatever it is they're being. And then they imagine all these horrible things that are going on that aren't really happening. They're not in the now. That's a common thing with anxiety or phobias. You're not present. You look around, your life is good. Uh, Ethnic people aren't doing any better than they have in the last hundred years. Uh, Nobody's taken over anything, right? The natural browning or darkening of America is because uh, dudes like me are hot and um, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Just accept it. um, Find somebody that likes you and get on with your life. But they're hearing from the internet that there's this idea of cultural um, integrity, uh, all myths, lies, and now they're reacting. So they have this traumatic event. The traumatic event is the uh, dream of losing something that they feel they have a birthright to. Somebody tells you, mom's going to cut you out of the inheritance. Grandmas, your families go through this all the time. I heard that grandma is cutting you out of the will. That's when you see murders. I hear that the people of color and all this are going to dominate America and do to you what was done to them. We better kill them all. We better arm ourselves to the teeth and kill them all. You hear that maybe you're on a plane and, 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 and people are acting out on the plane. They want to get off the plane while it's in the air. I can't breathe. I'm choking. That's a phobia. Coming from this um, traumatic event response. What's their traumatic event? Um, I'm not in control. I thought I was in control of every aspect of my life. I thought I had station uh, they told me I was a gold medalist and I was world champion. I got a t-shirt and hats says world champion and nobody acknowledges me. If they don't acknowledge me, I won't have relevance in this world. I don't have relevance or measure, then I won't have a partner or a mate and people won't like me and I'll be alone and I'll, I'll, have, I'll need help and I'll die. So I better act out on this plane, get off this thing or stop it or or rest control through yelling, screaming. So this is what we're seeing going on. And for those of us who are opting out by simply understanding our own events, the first thing we want to do is is control the narrative. See, all of life is an illusion. It's how we navigate it. How do you navigate the world? And you can can choose to navigate it in numerable ways. Look, everything out there is the same. Nothing is changing. It's how we deal with what's in front of us that can change. That's the only thing we have control over. How do we manage what's in front of us? The world is not going to change for us. We're going to change to adapt to the world. You follow me, Vin?
0: Yeah, Z, some of the things you said, there's an intuitive appeal, and it's a very scientific view that things are the way they are because of underlying causes. There's cause and effect. That's a principle we see from Buddhism. It's a principle that underlies science. Things don't just happen for no reason. They happen because of whatever circumstances have built up. Part of it could be the way that we were conditioned. Part of it could be habits, whatever it is, there is a set of conditions that has led us to the point that we are currently at. And because we know what those conditions are, or I should say, if we can identify what those conditions are, we can also reverse those conditions and we can engineer a more healthy state. And if we go back to the principles of Buddhism, the first principle, there were these four noble truths in Buddhism. And the first is that life is suffering. It sounds a lot more dire than it is, what it really meant was that the way that we live, all of the constant agitation of the mind, the constant attachment is what causes suffering. But that first principle is that life is suffering. And one of the other principles is that if you know what the cause of suffering is, you can remove it. So there is a cure. There is hope. And this is really the point of our discussion, that even if there is something wrong with you, it's silly to just sit there and say, oh my God, there's something wrong with me and lament that because that puts you in a state of inaction. It means that you're not going to go and do the work and see what led up to that moment, what led up to that point, and see either how to reverse it, change it, manage it, find some way to live with it, but live with it in a more productive state where it's not debilitating. As you're saying, you go back to that 50 cent line, you walk, maybe you walk with a limp, so it does affect you, but you can still walk, you can still get around. And Intuitively, that makes a lot of sense, whether we're looking at someone losing a loved one because they went through a disease or they were killed, or we look at the more mundane that we've got this culture of entitlement. You were told that you were your parents' favorite child and you could do no wrong and you're a prince or a princess, and suddenly you get out into the world and you find out that no one gives a shit about you and you're fending on your own, and that becomes a very stressful situation. So I'm going to ask you this, Z, if it's true that there's always an underlying cause, we can always trace these things back to a cause, is there ever anything wrong with anyone? I mean, what if we have someone who's like, yeah, I can fly because I've taken a lot of LSD and I've convinced myself that I can jump out the window and I'm going to be okay. Or someone who walks around and says, I'm just a king and I'm going to rule over people or I'm going to shoot everyone around me just because I feel like it. In those cases, I mean, is there a line where you say, yes, there is truly something wrong with this person and they need help, which is beyond our capacity to help them? Or is it always a case of, if we understand the underlying causes, we can figure out what that right solution is?
1: Well, again, recall what I said earlier. As I said to the young man, there's nothing wrong with you having phobias and anxiety. There's nothing wrong with you. And then I added the only person that wouldn't be affected by the murder of their siblings would be some person who is very mentally ill, such as a sociopath and a psychopath. There are excuse me, (coughs) there are people who are mentally ill who are broken, damaged we're not talking about them, but even with those people for them to exist We need to use the equation of root equals fruit. That is the equation of causality. What was the seed planted? And you understand what will grow from that. So if you look at the root of something, you can tell what the fruit will be. If you find somebody who is mentally ill. Example, the other day I went to uh, look at a school for the children. And as we were walking through the school, I was sitting in a classroom, and a very large elementary school child, uh, I was shocked that she was an elementary school child. She was obviously uh, well into puberty, and she was sitting on a beanbag. And whatever malady she had caused her to get up, right up on me and just start rubbing my head. I was creeped out. I was weirded out. I didn't know if she would start stabbing me or whatever, and then um, I tried to keep a nice poker face. You know, we're meeting this new school for the first time and some random kid, person had, I don't know what that disease is, maybe Caitlin knows, but they just walk up to people and they just start, I don't know if it was Williams Syndrome, I don't know what it was, but it was creepy as hell.
0: Hey Z, I'm gonna interrupt you for a second. That's one of the funniest visuals I've heard in a long time. I'm gonna start just laughing hysterically. I would bet if we took a poll of our audience of people who've worked with you, you'd find a good number who've always fantasized about doing that. But that's just me. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. Get back on track.
1: Okay. So it was a very bizarre experience for me and um, it was like almost like being around cats. I really don't like cats. So, you know, how cats would just come over and be familiar with people. And their owners will think it's the cutest thing in the world and you're like inside completely disgusted and sick. That's how I felt. Um, but I knew that the person, uh, this this young lady, had some sort of uh, a mental issue. Um, and um, later the, the, the people who work with these people didn't even notice because it was so normal for them. But for an outsider coming into there, there's obviously a, a brick or two shy of a full load there going on. So that's where you have to have the, the root then as institutions. We need to have institutions and ways to manage this if the family doesn't manage it. Or the fruit will be uh, God knows what. If you're just coming up to random people polishing their head and doing this kind of stuff, I don't think there's going to be a good outcome. Whatever fruit is coming out of there's not going to be such a good fruit. We could look at other people. You could hear narcissism, extreme narcissism in the voices of people. Um, I tell people all the day, when you listen to these politicians, um, what is the root? The root is narcissism. The fruit is nothing good for the country. And I use that formula. What is is going on underneath? And then we're going to see what the product will be. So if we all use that, we're in a good place. So there's nobody out there in the sense other than the mentally uh, ill that is really uh, in a traumatic situation, whatever happens is the damage. Whoever gets hit with that slug or, or with that bat, they're going to have a common response, of course, unless they're not fully there as a human being. So let's not, let's not fool ourselves. We're not that interesting. I always say as people, we are not that interesting. We exclude the sociopaths, the psychopaths, and the people with other types of uh, mental issues. You follow me, Van?
0: Yeah, yeah, I follow you, Z, uh, that you exclude the sociopaths, the psychopaths, you get to the cause and effect. And I think having that perspective shifts, again, the way that we approach ourselves, where we don't feel so isolated. It's kind of like, even if the situation doesn't change, if you know that, You're not in this alone, that it's a common human response. As we talk about sometimes, there are 8 billion people, 10 different stories. Other people have gone through the same thing. They found some way through Uh, their formulas that you can use, the ways to get through this. Just having that knowledge, even if it doesn't change your reality, maybe it provides hope. Maybe it provides some perspective. I feel like it's a good starting point. And it gets you out of that mental loop of saying, oh God, I'm just a terrible person. There's nothing that I can do. So you're stuck. Not only are you stuck with whatever you're feeling, but you're feeling bad about yourself for feeling whatever you're feeling. I think you'd mentioned that it was Jay Christian who said, don't put a head on your head to fix your head. Uh, So not only are you feeling bad, but you're feeling bad about feeling bad. And it's just a bad way all around uh, to live. Uh, So if we can get out of that, maybe that's the one thing that people can take away from this discussion, uh, which is there's hope. You're not in this alone. There are reasons why we're going through whatever trauma we're going through. We're going through whatever challenges we're going through. It's just part of the human experience. And not only do we have good company, but there are techniques that we can use to move forward and get past these things or at least learn how to manage them. So all of that, I think, is a very good message. It's a good perspective to have, My question for you would be, where do we start? And when I look at you, Z, you're interesting because you work with so many different people, you're able to recognize these patterns. So you look at what someone is going through and you can correlate it. You take this example of the person that you've met and they've got this fear of death. So you do a little bit of discussion and you figure out, okay, they went through a pretty traumatic event Uh, They went through the loss of two people, two siblings that they were very close to. So, of course, this is going to cause stress. So, number one, we have an, an idea of what that underlying cause is. And number two, since you've seen this before, you've got some sense of how to move forward. How do you manage that stress, either get beyond it or learn how to live with it? We talk about entitlement. Entitlement is such a big disease in our society. And we see so many examples of that. If you've got that perspective and you're dealing with it day in and day out, it becomes easier to diagnose perhaps and easier to treat. But what do we do for the people who are looking for solutions? Maybe we realize that that we're stuck, we're in this loop. Maybe we're listening to this discussion and we're saying, okay, great. It's not me, there's something else. But how do I figure out what that is? You take something like entitlement, it's so familiar that it becomes invisible. If everyone's entitled, if I've been entitled my whole life, I don't even realize it as a condition. Or do you take something like anxiety, coming from the sense of urgency that we have, the sense that I always need more, I always need to be somewhere else, I need to be doing something else. It's just baked into the way that we think about life. And it's baked into such a degree that it becomes very hard to identify. So if we're starting to do that self-diagnosis, help us start, Z, where do we start? How do we figure out how to correlate the, the problems and the challenges that we're facing with the things that are going on in the background? so that we can start to fix some of these problems?
1: Well Vin, I think the first step is like when I worked with this young man today is realize you need help. The next thing is realizing that um, anything wrong can be righted if you acknowledge that it's wrong. If something's broken. There can be a workaround, a way to fix it and even if it isn't a hundred percent of what it was you can make it sustainable and workable again, but you first must acknowledge that there is a problem. There is a problem here. Entitlement is a huge disease uh, that has spread far and wide to all areas of this nation, Um, especially so, and the world. It's a global issue, but it's manifesting obviously in the United States. So for those who want to address it, first turn inward and check yourself. And I, I have simple things. As I was saying with the young man, he, he had a long time seeking out counsel and help because his ego said, I don't want anything to be wrong with me. So what does that mean? That, that's our inability to do self-critique or analysis or even embrace healthy critique. And this is the death of solution. When you can't accept analysis critique, that's the death of solution. Whatever it is that you identify as a problem, there is a fix. You may not like the fix, but there is a fix. The reason you don't like the fix is because the ego is running interference. When somebody sits up and says, you know, I need to work on myself. That's the sign of, 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 of the person on a path of enlightenment. When a person acknowledges that, as the Veda said, you're entitled to nothing. Because we're here, because if I said before, and you guys hear, we're here because a of moment of lust and a whim of fate. That re- that offers no reward. There's no gold medal because your your mom was uh, cute and your dad was hot for at the time, and they didn't uh, use birth control, and now you're here. That's no, there's no reward. But the problem is, when we saw that baby the first time, that's the most beautiful baby in the world. We did that. There was no real laboratory work done. No math equations discovered. We were hot one night. We hit it. And now here's this baby nine months later that we've told all sorts of lies to. But we can fix that lie if we just add a few adjustments to that statement. You're my baby. You're part of me. You're part of an extension of me and for that reason my ego relishes you. That narcissistic parts of me thinks you're the best thing since uh, apple pie. My funny-looking, weird-looking baby is the prettiest baby of all babies. And you want to say that, to me, it's the prettiest baby because it's my baby. Or I accidentally created this baby. Or is it mine, right? Uh, mama's baby daddy's maybe. So that's where it starts at, the big lie. And then people go out into the world and they realize they're not the cutest, the smartest, the fastest. So now they got to work towards. Well, you didn't tell me that part. You didn't tell me for other people to feel that way about me, I need to work on myself. I need to run longer, I need to work out harder, I need to study more books. I need to throw the frisbee better. You know, I hear that from my little ones, right? They come home and they'll say, "I'm right now I'm the second fastest, Bob, at school." I'm the second fastest at school. And he said, what do I do? I feel so bad. I'm just the second fast. And I said, well, work out harder than the the first fastest. Just work out. Try that. I want to be so good at that. I don't tell them, oh, come on, you're still Mr. Wonderful, and you're really the greatest. I don't do that because that's going to give him a sense of entitlement. You don't have to do anything uh, to win a prize, and then the rest of your life will be disappointing. That's what's going to happen. So entitlement, we need to first acknowledge entitlement is a terrible disease. The, the myth of American exceptionalism, that's part of entitlement. Somebody told you when you were a kid that you live in the greatest country in the world. No, you live in this country. It's not the greatest place in the world. It's your country. It's just like it's your baby. That's what uh, Ted Bundy and all these people's moms said about them, greatest kid in the world. That's what the school shooters' parents tell them. They all say, all in the newspaper, It's a really good kid, It's quiet. He used to be in his room. Just no trouble at all. Yeah, he was too busy ordering guns and bombs and, 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 and reading Nazi propaganda. This is the common story. So we need to understand that entitlement itself is a contagious disease. And there's, right now, there is no narrative that rejects it or um, gives us the vaccine for entitlement. The next thing, again, is the work of, of self-realization. You have to have a devoted sacrifice, a life practice that you do every day. Your personal puja that you do every day that takes you through your personal tapas, which is fire. You might want to do a a fire puja, tapas puja, so you get really invest yourself in the work of being a better person. Question: What is puja? Puja is um, like a Hindu ritual, a, a get-together, an acknowledgement, a, a gathering of prayer, uh, this sort of thing. And they have different types of invocations in that ceremony. Um, and so I would say one, a personal, a personal ceremony that helps you fall into the fire of yourself. What is, what is that fire? That fire is a purification ritual. So you can listen. We just listened to sub Kaelin. These people wouldn't listen you know, those things I was listening to on on YouTube, it was just scary that people couldn't acknowledge that they weren't special. Why is it so wrong to say I'm not special? I told somebody the other day, I was on a a, uh, Zoom meeting with a bunch of martial arts masters. A lot of them I had known for going on 50 years and different new ones and stuff like that. And they said, man, I really miss you. Uh, When are you going to come to... The bay. I said, I couldn't make money in the bay because I'm just one of you guys. I'm not special. And they all laugh. They say, That's, well, you got your own thing you do. We all are spokes in a wheel. And when it comes around to like health and wellness uh, or craziness, you're our guy. When it comes to other stuff, there's another guy. And But we're okay with that. We've been trained as martial artists to have humility. The average person isn't humble like that. So for the opt-outs, we start our day every day saying, you know what, I'm not special. I'm one of eight billion, and let me do my best to shine my light. That's it. But the vast majority of untrained people believe themselves to be far more relevant than they really are. And that in itself will open you up. That is the root of a, a bitter fruit of realization, and that's going to cause you a lot of problems Gonna cause your children a lot of problems in relationships where everybody is with who they deserve. This kind of upsale that people want to do. I want a better person. You know what? You got to work on yourself. And then you got to be by yourself to work on yourself. You can't monkey bar from one thing to the other. You gotta work on yourself. You gotta look at yourself and say, wow, I'm really grateful that this bum of a mate is with me. So we're two bums together. Like two hobos on a train. Don't sit up there and glamorize and tell yourself how wonderful you are, and you haven't really done anything. Then, even then, when you've done things to improve yourself, to better yourself, to grow as a human being, do it with this, uh, a bit of humility. Oftentimes, when people praise me, I tend to reject it. You've seen that, you know. But when they praise my students, that's when I feel good. That's something that my discipline has taught me. That's what my fire puja has taught me. It forces humility upon you so you can continue to grow. If you are not humble, you cannot grow. If you cannot be criticized, you cannot grow. We have to work on what we, don't, what we, we do that we don't do well. You don't need to work on the things you do, you're good at. Work on the things you're not good at. None of us deserve anything. Work hard, do your best, and present yourself to the world. And the rewards of that will come in, 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 in different ways that represent your efforts. Keep it simple. Keep it simple like that. And so a lot of the challenges of trauma is because we've been invited into our own life by these myths about the self and about the world. They're myths. All of us are lucky to be friends with each other. I can say that, that's what I say. I want to be the humble servant of the divine. And, 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 and being in the foot, and, and people used to tell me, well, how did you get so good at what you do? Sorry, Marshall. I mean, this guy is a really good martial artist. I don't feel that the way it sounds, a lot of people. I never was one to take a lot of pictures and photos and of myself and, and posters of myself. I learned that from great masters. Great masters who could do things that defied physics. Who could do things that would, in any other arena, would, they would be the equivalent of Olympic gymnasts and an Einstein-like physicist, all in one person. From their effort, their work, and they kept it humble. So I tell people this, how did you good, good? I walked in the footprints of giants. So for me to just step in the footprint of a giant, I had to take great strides. I had to extend myself beyond my own sense of limits. I had to sacrifice, to travel, to study, to be quiet, to be alone, to be hungry. And I didn't do it looking at the day that I would end doing that and I would get this reward. I just wanted to experience that. That's it. So I would say for the opt-outs, we want to walk in the footprints of giants, even if we're not. And just in doing that, you extend yourself. And then having that appetite to hear, to sit quiet with your love, sit quiet with your partner, your loved ones, uh, somebody, your your dear friends is, hey, what can I work on? I found myself in recent times doing that with with young people that I hang out with. My nephews and things like that that I gain great inspiration from. I'll ask them, "Hey, what? what did you understand what I said? Did that make sense to you? Uh, what? What? What can I work on? Can you show me these things? Right? You know, it feels good to grow. I can feel the growth. It's like water—the water getting down to the root of that that fruit that's going to come up. It need you need to water the roots. You don't spray water on the fruit. You spray water on the root. This is the way of nature. So if we're going to water our healthy roots, get them healthy to reach deep into the earth, saturate them with moisture so that fruit will be healthy, these are the things we must do. Be okay being criticized. Don't shut down. Don't rear away. Don't say, oh, I don't like the way you said it. Even though what you said was true, it's valuable, but you didn't package it the way I wanted packaged. You didn't put enough candy over the vitamin for me to take it. I don't want to taste the bitter medicine, and because I can taste it, even though the medicine is good, I won't take it. This is our attitude. And as long as we have that attitude, we make our, ourselves much more sensitive to trauma. Somebody hurting your feelings. Well, you own your own feelings, and feelings aren't reality. You, we all own our own feelings. And as an experiment, what you could do is take any situation that is causing you grief and despair and look at it another way. You may go back to looking at it the other way, but look at it another way. Before we got on this podcast, we were talking about daily struggles, the differences in men and women, what causes trauma between the men and the women. And of course, I'm a dinosaur, so I must... Put the disclaimer out that I speak of heterosexual people with, uh, you know, no chromosomal issues. I'm just just to be clear, because there are different things that go on in a woman's mind, different ways things that go on in a man's mind, and when a woman and a man try to have gender plurality, it causes trauma. When you uh, want to walk your cat. It's causing trouble. Try and put a leash on a cat and walk a cat. You'll have problems. Kaylin claims her cat walks on a leash. Every cat owner owns this. I guarantee you this vicious animal is not really thinking about that. Uh,
0: he goes on walks all the time. He loves it. With a leash. Yeah, sometimes I put him in my backpack.
1: No, with a leash. No, <laughs> yes. the thing doesn't walk on it. That's why you put in the backpack, because he wouldn't walk on the leash. Let's tell the truth. You're like these parents of school shooters. That's the way cat ladies are. Okay. So, so, so what you want to do is acknowledge what you're creating. If you want to live in a world where you hear no criticism, you always get a gold medal. You are now highly vulnerable to trauma and you will have a traumatic event response or reaction and you will have PTSD and anxiety and all these other things. And you got it the cheap way. You don't even have a story associated with it at least people who've been to war have a story an interesting story people who lost siblings they have a hell of a story to tell you how they got their injuries and their scars well for the hapless person who realizes they're entitled to nothing and they feel like uh, they were given rewards and things just because they were born uh, they don't have a story it's a sad sad state you don't want to be that sad sad person so the way we work on it again is develop that appetite to work on the things you don't do well. When you're around the people that you love, have the fortitude, the character, to ask them, Is there something I can work on? Be like a great athlete who curiously goes to their coach and asks, Is there something I can work on? The coach doesn't tell me you're wonderful, you're great, you want, no, they say, Okay, let's get to work. They get their pen and pad and they say, Let's really break this down and see where we can make improvements. You did good, but I think there's more. That's why records are broken. That's why science advances. So for us, the common one of us, just just get with the people. Hey, is there something I can work on? Was there a misunderstanding? Is there a way I can convey or share this message that will bring more harmony into our interaction? Is there something you need from me? Or something you don't need anything from, but something you would like from me that would make this interaction more joyable, more wholesome, more sustainable, lighter, prettier, happier. But in order to do that, it requires a tremendous amount of humility. Because somebody told you the big lie that just because you were here, you were special. Once there's 8 billion of them, they ain't special. Now, if there was just one of you on earth and you had some like a you know a giraffe neck and you know pigeon feet and wings and then you'd be special less than that you're not that interesting you follow me Vin?
0: yeah 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 i get it i was going to make some joke about my elephant appendage and how that makes me special but maybe i'll save that for next time
1: <laughs> we'll, rela- we'll, we'll 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 save that for the sensual and relationship uh, podcast coming up
0: yeah, yeah, sounds like a good idea. There are a couple of points you made that I'll I'll expand on a little bit, just give some thoughts as we wind this down. What is the humility? The humility to me is critical. I feel like a lot of times we actually know what's wrong or we have an inkling of what's wrong, even if we don't know exactly what. Like we're not taking care of ourselves physically. We're not spending enough time with family we're too distracted because we're on our cell phones. We've got some sense in the back of my of our mind, if we're quiet and we listen, we may even be able to self-diagnose. So even before going out, Z, as you're suggesting to other people, having that humility opens us up, gives us some clarity, some perspective, and we can get answers that otherwise would escape us. We wouldn't be able to see because, as you're saying, the ego just shuts it shuts down that entire process and prevents us from looking at ourselves objectively. So that's one thing that I think of hearing your comments. The other is that so much of this has to do with narrative. We've talked about entitlement. That's a big one. We've talked about anxiety about how maybe we're not that special. Maybe we need to to work on certain things and we should be open to that and that sort of criticism, even if we take some of the more traumatic events, Narrative can be very important. So if we're going through something and we've experienced some catastrophic loss, examine our assumptions. Examine, not even assumptions. I mean, assumptions might be part of it, but but just perspective. If our perspective is that life is transient and we don't have any, any claim on anyone else, we don't have any right, for the time that we have on this planet. We don't have any right to anyone else's company. That means that we just enjoy the time that we had. We celebrate the moments that we had. We can think of someone with sadness, with fondness, with pain, whatever it is, but there's a certain acceptance in there because we're coming at this with a different perspective, with a different internal narrative, uh, which is I need to be grateful for what I had, not how did this cruel world upend my plans and rip things away from me. So being aware of those narratives, I think, is very important. And the final thing I'll add is sometimes life sucks. I mean, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we'll go through these events. And maybe at times there actually isn't anything to do in that moment. We just need to sit with the pain, sit with the loss, recognize that we're going to go through a rough patch, but we'll come out on the other side. If these situations fester and they prevent us from moving forward, And years later, we're still reliving the same trauma. And then we look at it and we say, okay, this is a problem. Maybe we can fix the way that we're looking at the situation. Maybe there are other things that we can do uh, to get ourselves back on track. But if it's a raw wound, if it's something that's fresh, we might just need time to grieve. We might just need to go through that process. Uh, So I would add time to that list, Z, as, as something final to think about. I mean, we talked about bringing the ego down, We talked about opening ourselves to criticism. Uh, We talked about changing narratives. Maybe the final piece of it is sometimes we just need to quietly accept whatever, whatever pain, whatever hurt we're, we're experiencing in that moment.
1: Add to that, Vin a few things. Try to be a good
0: listener. And it's not
1: all, it's not always what you think you're hearing. If you don't like the messenger, you will corrupt the message. So I know that there are certain people who have certain frequencies of voices. For example, if a person speaks in a shrill voice, you don't hear a word they say, even if it's something that will help you, even if it's a, a message that will help you, because the voice is shrill. So for those who opt out, let's really work on accepting that that person's tone isn't like ours. People come from different cultural backgrounds. Uh, our neighbors and tenants, they come from uh, these big families and they're always having these festivals. Drives me crazy because part of my family does that too and I never win. I just, I have my own issues with being in crowds and things like that. But in accepting it, it doesn't bother me. I don't feel like I have to stop them or protest. Um, I come from a a family of revolutionary soldiers, um, uh, people who fought battles against colonialism and things like that, and they're very intense, but they were very loving. So for some people they've never been around intensity, they've never been around people who have strong convictions, action takers, so they're very put off by that intensity but it's about acceptance. Not everybody's like everybody else. We are often more compatible than we think if we accept that differences can be very healthy. There was a funny thing going around that said, for a marriage to work, one one person has to be very boring, and another person has to be very crazy. Crazy and boring work for each other, that works. So there's something to that. But before you can do that, you must accept. You can't go into situations trying to change people, alter people. You lead by example. Just be the best version of you. And hopefully your friends, your family, your partners, your lovers, and all that, you can accept that, hey, they're different than me. Their journey in this world that brought them to me was a different path than what I took. And then we can share experience. But if you guys say, "Well, I I, I like this party, but I don't like where you come from. I don't like the way you said it." Um, we hear as I'm studying the whole social media thing. They have uh, uh, this guy that on the social media by the name of Kevin Samuels. I guess he just died or something. And I wa- I was curious about him because he got so many people were cheering his death. So many people were cheering his death. I said, "What did this guy do?" So what well, he's really rude and abusive to women. And I listened to his show and I didn't find him abusive at all. People would call in an example. They would call in and say to his show, um, where are the good men at? I'm looking for a good man and I can't find anybody. And he would start the show by saying, ma'am, what is your height, your weight, your age, and marital status? This is what he would say. What is your height, your weight, your age, your marital status? There's a reason he did that. So this woman calls in and says, look, I'm, I'm five foot three, I weigh 200 pounds, I have uh, six kids, uh, different fathers and I'm unmarried. What are you looking for? I can't find a good man. So what's your idea? Well I want a guy that is at over six feet, that has a seven-digit income, that was possibly either a pro athlete or an Olympian, that has now gone into a business And he makes seven digits and he'll fall in love with me and my kids. And he says, okay, so what do you bring into the table? He tells the woman, you're not bringing anything to the table. Why would this guy want you? You have a lot of baggage. You, you, You dropped out of high school. You have a face tattoo. And for that reason, people hated him and said he was abusive and rude. They never said to the woman, why didn't you work on yourself? why don't you accept that your choices of your past have brought you to the island that you're on now, the desert island of of relationship. This is where relationships come to die. That's where you drove your ship. And saying that, I just don't like the way he said it. None of them said what he said was not true. They didn't like the way he said it. So opt-outs, we got to get over that. We have to get over that. I remember being in an emergency situation one time and I was helping the emergency responders deal with a catastrophe right at hand. Um, it was a, Years ago there was a, a fire in the valley when I first moved to LA. And the guy that I worked with, his house was on fire and I, I made it up to his house to put out the, help put out the fire. And there were cars blocking the road for fire And the, the fireman came by and was yelling at everybody, Get out of the way! Move now! And a woman stops her cars, turned the car off, stood out of the car and said, hey, I don't like the way you talk to me. You should explain to me why you speak to me that way. Well, the fire, you could actually hear the fire. It sounded like a truck moving through the hill. So he took the fire truck and just pushed the car away, just rammed it away, and everybody cheered. Now we can go. Well, he could have spoke to me. No, he, he can't. That's, that's on you. The quality and style of speech. Did you hear the message? So for us opt-outs, let's really listen to the words. Listen to the words coming out of the person's mouth, not the style of speaking. This is petty. It's low. It's an embarrassment to you. It harms relationships. Is, there, is, it, is it beneficial information? I don't care if Mr. Ed, the talking horse, brought it to you. If he says you need to move now, just move now. Save your life. Complain about the messenger later, and so too with partners. Oftentimes, familiarity breeds contempt. You know that, being married, your wife may hear the same thing for you, but listen to a total stranger and come to you and say, "Did you hear what? Did you hear what Oprah said?" Well, you know, I said the same thing last night. Ah, you're you. So it was the messenger, not the message. So we want to be very careful. We want to be more enlightened. Listen to the message. Don't, don't find yourself saying, I don't like the way they said it. Ask, is it true? Is it something beneficial to me? Is this favorable information that will benefit my life? And then that makes you less susceptible to being traumatized. Because it fortifies your character. It gives you a muscle-bound soul. So you can learn and grow. You follow me, Vin?
0: Yeah, Yeah, I follow you. I mean, so much of what we're talking about is just the attitude that we have. And it's having, I would say, a combination of humility, which we talked about, but also strength. You mentioned the word fortitude. It takes a certain amount of strength, a certain amount of confidence in yourself to open yourself up to criticism, to recognize that there are ways to improve, that nothing you're doing is the absolute right way, that at times you might be in the way like this woman who was in the way of the firefighter and that's just life that's that's a reality that we live in uh, that we're going to conflict with people at times we're going to upset people we're going to do things that maybe at times upset people that we stand behind maybe at times we upset people and we say you know what this is an opportunity for me to reflect and to move in a different direction But that process of growth, that process of evolution only comes when we have that combination, the humility to look at ourselves objectively and the strength to say, I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to make a change. And Zee, the final thing I would say is the opposite of that is terrible. I mean, the opposite of that to me is death. That's when we get stuck in this endless loop, going back to the beginning of this conversation. Where we just think, oh my God, there's something wrong with me, but I'm too insecure to do anything about it, so I'll just accept it, and I'll put on a brave face, and I'll pretend that things are okay, and I'll hold it together. I'll smile for the camera, but inside, I'm falling apart. I'm cracking up. I go home, and I just cry every single night. I can't sleep properly. We live with this pain because we don't want to take the steps to diagnose the situation and move forward. So that, com- that cycle, I should say, of, of diagnostics and movement, that to me is fundamental. I mean, that's part of life, whether we're looking at the natural world, we're looking at plants, or we're looking at ourselves. That's how we grow. That's how we evolve. Not only is that how we get better, I feel like that's what makes life interesting. You know, if we're always just stuck in place, to me, that's no way to live. So that's my final word on this, Z. You have any anything to add?
1: That's it. Hey, let's work on our, our trauma, people. Let's acknowledge it, fix it, and live a good life.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.